Amen. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Daniel. Old Testament book of Daniel. If you're new to the things of the Bible, Daniel is in the Old Testament and it's probably about two-thirds of the way through the Bible as you open it. The book of Daniel. Hear now the word of the living God. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. This is the word of the living God, and together we say, Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated and let's pray. Now, O oh Lord, we pray that the Spirit of the living Christ would pierce our minds and hearts with the glories of your word. And the face of Jesus Christ, which appears from all of Scripture. We pray that the preaching of his word would be the word of Christ to his sheep. Give us aid, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen. Picture with me, at the start of this book, a trail of little boys and little girls some of their parents slaughtered and left, others of them hobbling alongside them. Picture with me, if you will, rulers of their people, some with gouged out eyes trailing behind the mass. Picture with me, if you will, little boys snatched from their parents and given over to other men, men whose language they do not speak, men that they do not know, men that are rough with them. Picture with me, if you will, flames and smoldering rubble left behind them. Picture with me, if you will, the holiest and most special of vessels from their great and holy Place dirtied by the hands of pagans, carried off and eventually placed at the feet of a false god. The book of Daniel begins really in such a way. You see, when we think about the book of Daniel, we think about the glories of closing the mouths of lions. And we ought to. We think about little boys who grow into young men who take a stand for the living God in the face of utter persecution and threats of death. We think about visions like statues with different kingdoms. And who can forget that story of fire burning so hot and three, yea, four walking in the midst of the furnace. You see, all of these things, if we grew up 
learning the Bible, or if we've come to know the Bible, are stories that we remember, but it doesn't start that way, does it? No, we read in the first few verses that a pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came and crushed Jerusalem. And before we get mention of the people that he brought, we get mention of articles of the living God from the house of God carried to the house of false gods. This would have communicated something. This would have said to the Babylonians and perhaps to many of the Hebrews, the living God is not in Jerusalem. And then, as we'll see, Lord willing, next week, we read of little children. We often think of Daniel as a young man, perhaps 20s, 30s, 40s. But look at verse 3 and following, and you will read of little children taken into captivity and made to serve at the feet of a pagan king. This is how the book of Daniel begins. What is the book of Daniel? Well, it's a book in the Old Testament of Holy Scripture. The Old Testament really tells us the story of God creating all things, of human beings falling into sin and rebellion against God, and God giving a promise that one day he would send a seed of the woman, and that seed of the woman, that man, would be the one to bring about salvation. And it's that promise that is traced all throughout the Old Testament. But winding throughout the pages of the Old Testament are the continual failures of God's covenant people. First, a family, the Hebrews, the Jews. Then a nation, Israel and Judah, which will eventually give way to the family of Jesus and to the nation of Jesus. But we're not there yet. It's a book written probably about 540 years or so before Jesus is born. And it's written by Daniel. Some would make an argument that it was written later. We don't know who the author is. We don't really know all of the details. But actually, the book of Daniel claims to be written by Daniel. For instance, turn over to chapter 9 and verse 2. Just one example there. What do we read? If we are to believe this is penned by the Holy Spirit of God through men of old, we read these words in Daniel 9, verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of God. The prophet Daniel writes the book of Daniel. You can read this in chapter 10, verse 2. Or how about Matthew 24, verse 15, when our Lord Jesus Christ attributes the book of Daniel to Daniel? Or the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11:33, mentioning Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego silencing the mouths of lions. Oh, Daniel is the author, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing about 540 years before Jesus is born. And this book of Daniel spans his life. Boys and girls, sometimes the books of Scripture are written in a matter of weeks or even a day. But the book of Daniel really spans the life of Daniel. Likely from little boy Daniel all the way to the very end of his life. Because he was taken as a child out of the land and brought into Babylon. I want us to see two things this morning as our goal is simple. 
I want us to begin to consider the entirety of this book. I want us to overview the book of Daniel so that as next week we begin in verse 3 and walk section by section, we have a little bit of the lay of the land. So let's take a 30,000 foot view before we walk on the ground of the pages of the book. Two simple things this morning. Two points if you're a note taker. Number one, living in exile. Living in exile. And number two, looking to Christ. There are a myriad of ways that we could summarize the book of Daniel. We could overview the book of Daniel. I'm going to ask us to do it in these two simple phrases. Living in exile and looking to Christ. What does it look like for a person of God, the living God, to be in exile? And what does it look like for God to continually give promises of Jesus through his word to people who are waiting? What does it look like for God to continue to give promises, pictures of Jesus to people through his word while they are waiting? That's the book of Daniel. So let's begin the journey. Verses one and two, we read in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. A king of Babylon by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Boys and girls, over the course of the next few months, you can practice pronouncing this king. It's a big word, isn't it? Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Well... This is, of course, what is referred to in Old Testament history as the exile. The old covenant people of God, marked out in their flesh by circumcision, given all kinds of laws beyond the Ten Commandments to keep them a holy and separate nation until Jesus would come, have so rebelled against the living God that he's given them what he promised to give them. Curse and removal from the land their land. This was prophesied in advance. Turn over to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 39. Because before Daniel's time, we read of these words. Isaiah 39 verses 5. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, boys and girls, Hezekiah was a king, a king in Judah. Then as Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you. Daniel is one of those sons whom you will beget and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. But the text begins, as I mentioned, with some of the articles of the house of God. Verse two. Imagine that. You've been worshiping God in prescribed ways. You've heard the words of the prophets. You've memorized his law. You've said his psalms. And a pagan king comes in and crushes the temple 
and carries out these God-ordained articles from the temple and sullies them and carries them off and places them at the feet of his own idols. This ought to ask the people of God, cause the people of God to ask the question, where is the living God? Can God's word be trusted? Where is God when we are in exile? And it would have rallied in that day. The Babylonians. Aren't you the people that had a God who brought them through the Red Sea? Where is your God? Aren't you the people who had a God who supposedly fed them with bread from the sky? Where is your God? Aren't you the people who supposedly had a relative that was kept safe in a boat when God destroyed the world? Where is your God now? Because we've got your articles of worship. The picture is bleak. And how did we get here? We we saw that Isaiah prophesied that it was coming before it happened, but how did we get here? I want us to just read some passages of Scripture for a few moments. We don't often do this, but I, I want us to just hear the Word of God speak and answer the question, how did we get to the point where God's covenant people are crushed and carried off into exile? Firstly, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Verses 36 and 37. If you remember at the giving of the law, God told the people in the covenant made with Moses, if you obey, you will remain in the land and you will have success. If you disobey as a people in the land and turn your backs on me and this covenant, you will be cursed. This is God's covenant through Moses to this promise-bearing nation known as Israel. And I want you to hear one of the promises of a curse that will happen if they stop honoring the living God. Deuteronomy 28, 36. The Lord will bring you and the king whom you have set over to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. And you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all the nations where the Lord will drive you. Part of God's covenant with this nation involved obedience for life in the land. And of course, if you read from Deuteronomy all the way through the history of Israel, you know that they were anything but obedient and faithful to God. We read of the story then of what happened to them. Daniel only gives us a summary, but the story we read is in 2 Kings chapter 24. 2 Kings 24. Hear the word of God. The book of Kings is aptly named because it's the history of this nation with this promise of the coming Jesus. But it's written through the lens of all of the various kings. And as the king of the nation went, so went the nation. So in 2 Kings 24, we read these words. In his days, 
Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his vassal, his puppet king, for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him raiding bands of Chaldeans, bands of Syrians, bands of Moabites, and bands of the people of Ammon. He sent them against Judah to destroy it, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken by his servants, the prophets. Surely at the commandment of the Lord, this came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh. Manasseh was one of the kings, boys and girls, who worshipped false gods and allowed the sacrifice of children in the land. Because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also because of the innocent blood that he had shed, for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? So Jehoiakim rested with his fathers. Then Jehoiakim, his son, reigned in his place. And the king of Egypt did not come out of his land anymore, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates. Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem three months. His mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of El Nathan of Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city as his servants were besieging it. Then Jehoiakim, king of Judah, his mother, his servants, his princes and his officers went out to the king of Babylon. And the king of Babylon, in the eighth year of his reign, took him prisoner. And he carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord. And the treasures of the king's house. And he cut into pieces all the articles of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord. As the Lord had said. Also, he carried into captivity all Jerusalem, all the captains and all the mighty men of valor. Ten thousand captives and all the craftsmen and smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. And he carried Jehoiakim captive to Babylon. The king's mother, the king's wives, his officers and the mighty of the land were carried into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. All the valiant men, 7,000 and craftsmen and smiths, 1,000, all who were strong and fit for war. These the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon. Then the king of Babylon made Mataniah, Jehoiakim's uncle, king in his place and changed his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah, that he finally cast them out of his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. And the next chapter details for us further information as to what happened. Now, as we read that story in Second Kings 24, I hope that you heard the repetitive refrain of the king of Judah, the king of Judah, the king of Judah. God had given a promise hundreds of years before to the king, David, you're always going to have a king from your house on the throne. 
But here, within a matter of months, there's quite a bit of change in leadership, isn't there? One other Old Testament passage. And we'll end our flipping through the story. Jeremiah 52. The prophet Jeremiah summarizes what happens with this last king, Zedekiah. And the details are gruesome, but there's a theological significance behind them. Jeremiah 52, 1 through 11. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He also did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, this happened in Jerusalem and Judah till he finally cast them out of his presence. Then Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign in the tenth month on the tenth day of the month that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it and they built a siege wall around it. So the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city wall was broken through and all the men of war fled and went out of the city at night by way of the gate between the two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were near the city all around and they went by the way of the plain. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and they overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah in the land of Hamath. And he pronounced judgment on him. Then the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Where is your everlasting king now, O Israel? Then the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and he killed all the princes of Judah and Riblah. He also put out the eyes of Zedekiah. Gruesome. But get the theological significance. The final known ruler with the promises of God that he is supposed to lead. The last thing he sees is the slaughtering of all of his seed. Where is your king now, O Israel? And the king of Babylon bound him in bronze fetters, took him to Babylon and put him in prison till the day of his death. So little boy Daniel is amidst a people who are utterly crushed and defeated. That's how we got here. But the book of Daniel tells us The ultimate hand behind it all. Verse 2 of Daniel 1. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Biblical commentator Dale Ralph Davis writes these words. Quote, you would never find that kind of statement in a historical work today. For one thing, we do not have the divine revelation needed to make such a statement, but neither, for the most part, do we have historians with a centric worldview who would be willing to say or admit such a thing, that God did what happened. 
Judah's demise is not merely the inevitable corollary of Babylon's military might. No, the Lord gave Jehoiakim up to Nebuchadnezzar. Right at the beginning of Daniel's book, we are told that Israel's God is the Lord who directs history as he wills. So what is the book of Daniel? Well, you could outline it this way. It's a book of people living in exile, yes. Chapters 1 through 6 are a bunch of narratives, stories, little vignettes, which are meant to give hope, and they will. Chapters 7 through 12 are words of predictive prophecy, words of comfort, as we'll see in a moment. Jesus-filled words. It's like the book has two parts. As we live in exile, we're given the stories of of God's people living for the living God. We're given God's words to a nation in exile. Words of hope. Sinclair Ferguson, in his commentary on this book, furthers this. He points out that in chapters 2 and 7, we receive visions of four world empires from Daniel's time to Jesus. Chapters 3 and 6 present us with stories of God's deliverance. Chapters 4 and 5 show God's judgment on world rulers. And chapters 8 through 12 give us a picture of world history from the viewpoint of God's people. Imagine that. We're starting out with a book with smoldering rubble in the backdrop. All of the kings are dead or are with gouged out eyes being carried off into captivity. Little boys, the best of the land, are now made to serve another king and learn his ways. What hope is there? And yet, from the very first chapter, we begin to see that the living God, who rules over all things, will bring about not only the promises that he gives, but he will bring about spirit-wrought work in the hearts of those who are his. Doesn't this opening cause us to ask questions? It would certainly cause them to ask questions. Think about this. Has God forsaken me? We used to worship in that temple and now it's destroyed. The priests used to do things with those gold articles and now they don't belong to us. Has God forsaken us? What about his promises? Do we sing his songs anymore? Is God really in control? How can this pagan king be allowed to do the things that he's doing? Why aren't the rulers who rule over us ruling in God-centered ways? You ever ask that question? Will, Will we ever know the joy of the presence of the living God in our midst again? So we get one of the Psalms the Bible. Turn over to Psalm 137. It's a famous psalm. Listen to these words. Imagine being a person in exile, singing songs like these. Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it, For there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song, and those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Living in exile. 
Brothers and sisters, redemptive history has moved forward. As we'll see, even in our sermons through Zechariah, like tonight, the Lord does bring the people back to the land, a remnant. And with surprising precision, the Lord does bring a king from the nation. He does bring a king from the loins of Abraham. And it is unexpected. And God's promise to Abraham that in you, Abraham, and your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. It happens. But even after all of what it happens... Do you know the New Testament says, in essence, that it's like we believers are in exile? You look at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Believers, Christians, and not simply Jews are called pilgrims of the exile. 1 Peter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims, sojourners of the dispersion or the exile. It's almost as if Peter, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, you Christians who've been saved by the blood of Jesus, you're placed all over the cities of this world, and it's like you're living temporarily in exile. Daniel isn't just a book of Old Testament history. It's a book for Jesus' people. Living in exile. Listen to the way that Sinclair Ferguson describes this book. I think it's very well written. Quote, what then is the message that Daniel brings? It is multifaceted. His visions bring both counsel and encouragement. Their view of the history of the church is that it will always be marked by trial and suffering by the attacks of seductive powers and malignant forces. Daniel himself was a man who felt the force of the kingdom of darkness and stood in the evil day, receiving rich blessings from his God. His book not only tells others to stand, it shows us what it means to stand for the Lord and to keep ourselves from idols of every kind. The heart of the book's message is, of course, the good news of the kingdom of God. Nations and empires, thrones and dominions will rise and fall, but the city of God will endure. His kingdom will last forever and the gates of hell shall not withstand it. End quote. That's absolutely right. There are some wonderful stories in the book of Daniel, boys and girls. Lions' dens and fiery furnaces and statues with all kinds of different kinds of building blocks. But through it all is the promise that even in the worst of circumstances, God rules and reigns, and He is sending His Son for His people. Living in exile. But secondly, as we close, the book also encourages us to look to Christ. Look to Christ. How so? The name Jesus is nowhere to be found in the book of Daniel, and yet He's everywhere. As we walk through the book of Daniel, we'll see pictures of Christ everywhere. This is Jesus, who would be born 540 years later, the second person of the Trinity who put on flesh and dwelt among humanity and lived a perfect life of righteousness and died on a cross. And as he died, the living God poured out judgment upon him 
Instead of all the sinners that he would save, he would be punished for the sins of all of his people. He would die and carry their sin and death to the grave, but on the third day he would be raised. And all who have faith in him will find complete and full and total forgiveness for their sins and life everlasting. This is the Jesus that we're talking about. But some 540 years before he's born, there are pictures of him. In fact, he shows up. Let me just give you four quick examples and we're finished. We talked about living in exile and what this book's outline will be like. Now we're talking about how the book causes God's people to look to Christ. There's four simple examples. In Daniel chapter 2, we meet an example. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. We'll get to this, but Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Nobody in the land can interpret the dream. God gives Daniel the ability to interpret the dream. And this dream involves a statue, which we'll talk about. And in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, there are four different kinds of building materials of this statue. Gold being the first, representing Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Then the Persians are represented. Then the Greeks who would come, led by Alexander the Great. They're represented. And then Rome, perhaps the greatest and strongest and most firm of all, it's represented. But there is this little, seemingly small thing. And we read of it in Daniel chapter 2. There... We read this in verse 44. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it will stand forever. This little stone next to the statue is representative of a kingdom which will come come about during the time of all of these other earthly kingdoms. And it will crush these kingdoms and it will never end. Can you think, boys and girls, of a kingdom that was started during the time of the Roman Empire that has not ended? Daniel reminds us that Christ's kingdom is overall. The kingdom that Christ brings... Through his blood, through his righteousness, is a kingdom over all kingdoms. In fact, the scriptures say in the very last pages of the Bible, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. We see, firstly, the call to look to Christ is the reminder that Christ's kingdom is over all. But secondly, we see the reality that Christ stands with the faithful. This happens in chapter 1, chapter 3, chapter 6. What do I mean? Well, in chapter 1, these little boys, perhaps teenagers or now young men, are told that they're going to be absorbed into a group of non-Jewish people and they're going to serve and they're going to be trained in the ways of Babylon. And in chapter 1, they ask, Can we eat according to the ways of our God? And they pass the test. They're faithful, as we'll see, to God's word. Chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar builds an image of gold. 
When you hear the trumpet call, you are to bow and worship me in my image. Well, Daniel's friends, friends that will meet, friends, boys and girls that have some funny sounding names. They know there's no God in heaven on earth but the true and living God. We will not worship you. We will not worship your image. So the king throws them into a fiery furnace. One, two, three. But they're not burning. They're not burning so much to the fact that Nebuchadnezzar is surprised. And in verse 25 of Daniel 3, he says this. Look, he answered, I see four loose men walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. I think most scholars would argue that this is the pre-incarnate Christ walking in the midst of faithful men. What does the psalmist say? The angel of the Lord encamps. He pitches his tent among those who fear him and he delivers them. You see, the book of Daniel tells us to look to Christ and to see that his kingdom is over all, but that he stands with the faithful. And of course, in chapter 6, we see this again, don't we? When Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, but not destroyed. A third way that the book of Daniel points us to Jesus happens in chapter 7. And there we see that Christ is worthy of. Of dominion. We get a vision. Remember I said chapters 1 through 6 are stories, but chapters 7 through 12 is a series of visions. Some of you can't wait to dive into all of what that means. Well, first vision, what do we have? Chapter 7, verse 9. A vision. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousands times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the open the books were open. Just pause right here. I don't want to get distracted with a second sermon, but can you imagine what it would be like to see all of Jerusalem crushed, all of your people half dead, half taken into captivity? The articles of your temple put at the feet of a false god and to receive a vision like this where the living God is seen with thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousands ministering to him, the God that you serve. Verse 11, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its bodies destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Now, what does that have to do with Jesus? Well, look at verse 13. I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. Then to him, that is the son of man, 
who stands before, as it were, the living God. Then to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Daniel, getting a vision of the reality that Christ is worthy of dominion. We'll get here, but this is not Jesus coming in the clouds on the final day. Sort of a last coming, or perhaps some might even say a secret rapture. No, 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 no. This is Jesus being pictured as the one who's been given the commission to bring about a kingdom by the living God. And that he's given this kingdom. And this is a kingdom that will not end, and that he is the only one worthy of glory and praise. Christ has been given a kingdom by God to bring to pass. And this is the kind of vision that our brother Daniel receives in a land that is not his home, without his temple, without his psalm book, without the articles of worship. Told if he doesn't worship in certain ways and do things in certain ways that he will be crushed. In fact, they come after him many times. But the living God, by his word, says, look to Christ. He's coming. Well, the final way that the book of Daniel, at least for today, points us to look to Christ is in the very last chapter. We're going to have to wear our seatbelts that day, beloved. Because there we receive a prophecy. Daniel receives a vision, if you will. And the fourth way that at least the book of Daniel points us to Christ is that Christ brings hope of resurrection. Christ brings hope of resurrection. Daniel, it's not just your city and your temple that will be raised again. It's your mortal body. Chapter 12, at that time, Michael shall stand up. We'll talk about Michael when we get there. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was seen as a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And isn't this the hope that we're waiting for? Romans 8, 23, we wait for resurrection. So this book really could be summarized in various ways. The way we've sought to do it today is living in exile and looking to Christ. And we've seen as the book of Daniel has unfolded, we've seen these little glimpses of what it looks to look like, what it looks like to look to Christ. Christ's kingdom is over all. Daniel, Daniel's people, Christians some 2,000 years later, Christ's kingdom is over all. Secondly, Christ stands with the faithful. You may not be in a fiery furnace, but the living Christ stands in your midst nonetheless. Christ is worthy of dominion. He is the one that's been given a kingdom to bring about. And Christ brings hope of resurrection. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never 
failing. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble, not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. Then we sing of the risen Christ, whose kingdom is forever. Do you know this Christ? Have you trusted in him? Received him for forgiveness of sins? Come to him today. Let's pray. Almighty God, help your people as we walk through this book to find encouragement as we too, as it were, live in exiled lands. We're not yet face to face with our King. So often it feels like we are in perhaps lesser ways in the path and seed of Daniel. So bring us encouragement we ask from your word. Help the living Christ to shine through these pages. May it be a balm to the souls of your saints and the first breath of life to those who have yet to trust in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name.